0: I did a job for Amazon a couple of years ago, and oh, wow. it was like...
1: Okay, you did sell out then. I did, you it's You fucking true. sold out yeah. hard, man. Yeah, uh, but it... <laughs> was it for his uh, spaceship? Was it like ambient <laughs> music for them to listen to as they went into space?
0: It was like, I think the theme was, it was on Amazon Originals, it was uh, music to sleep to, mm-hmm. which, it, you know, and it was me and a few other composers, a lot of whom I like and listen to their music, and I, you yeah. know, I don't sleep to it. Yeah. <laughs> um but like it just happens that there's someone involved in Amazon Music who's actually looking out for musicians and trying yeah. to get them, you know, gigs and get them paid.
1: All right. Hello and welcome to Bald Talk, the podcast wherein two or less comedians interview bald artists, actors, musicians, poets, pay less shoe salespeople, or really anyone bald about being bald. I am Brian Husky, a bald podcast host. Charlie Sanders is in another reality in the metaverse presently. And today's guest is a dear friend of mine, but that is definitely not his greatest accomplishment. It does rank pretty high there, but it is not his greatest one, because he is a fantastically talented composer, producer, and musician. He was part of the North Carolina uh, indie rock instrumental duo Spatula um, before embarking on his own musical journey with his acoustic guitar pieces on such albums as A Struggle, Not a Thought. Uh, Crows in the Basilica, transitioning there to ethereal pedal steel guitar pieces on such amazing albums. This is my favorite one, Chuck. Uh, Balsams. Um, Is that what I'm saying? Balsams. Yeah. Yeah. Balsams. Okay. Balsams. Uh, And his most recent album, The Cinder Grove, is a gorgeous uh, mix of pedal steel and synthesizer. Uh, he's done extensive soundtrack work, uh, scoring all five seasons of the Emmy Award-winning PBS series, A Chef's Life. He has a cute dog, he likes to surf, and he isn't bald, but he's bald-adjacent in his hairline and his haircut, so please welcome Chuck Johnson. Hi, Chuck thanks, Johnson. Brian. Good to see you. Hi, yeah. Thanks for coming. It's so funny. I get always get so uh, I get nervous doing the intros, because like, it, it, I feel like I'm eulogizing people. <laughs> to a degree <laughs> or I'll give you like a mass summary of like here's what you have done with your life but uh when I was looking over I mean it's crazy you have uh, that I just named what three out of like f- bunch 10 yeah. or 12 albums you've done yeah it's it's pretty impressive but we'll get to the musical part first let's get this bullshit premise <laughs> out of the way about baldness <laughs> so are you are you losing it? Are you? Because I, I saw a picture of you playing live, and it was probably just like the the like, you know, the lighting would just sort of made you just had a glowing orb yeah. of of head, so it just looked like it fried all your hair off.
0: I had, uh, I yeah, I've been I'm on what I would call the forty year plan, so yeah, yeah, I was definitely losing hair when I first met you. Um,
1: yeah. But, I've always admired your hairline. You're like one of these people. Be- I, have I now I realize I have a widow's peak fetish. Oh yeah. Like I've always been like, yeah. I've always loved the guys who've had like that kept a little bit of a, a little bit of a um, diving board in the middle right. of their, their pool. I still have yeah.
0: that. I still have that. Yeah. I had just cut yeah. my hair really like clipped it down before that show in L.A. And yeah, just hadn't really you know when we were setting up. That's always a thing you have to consider. Yeah. When- <laughs> the lights in the venue and how that how yeah. that's gonna work out. Um, totally. So I guess it worked out in a, in a way that got me on this show, because <laughs> you noticed that. Yeah, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it might make a lot of uh, bald listeners really pissed off that you're not like fully, fully, but. Not there,
0: not entirely, but you know, I'm yeah. on my way. I'm definitely, it started when I was in college, really. Yeah. And uh, I figure by the time I'm 60, It'll be, right. it'll be gone. It'll like, I'll just go ahead and, and do a full, like a close shave all around. I think that'll be. That's part of your retirement yeah, package. Exactly. It's just, yeah.
1: <laughs> That's so funny. I mean, yeah. Cause I, you know, in college I, I was starting to, I mean, I started to lose it when I was 17. And so when in college I was like hyper obsessed with like where it was and what was going on with it. And I look back at pictures now and I'm like, dude, I had. I had so much more hair than I perceived myself having, <laughs> and I confuse people by making you know self deprecating bald jokes about myself all the time. They're like, "Oh yeah, I guess, right, maybe." Yeah, same here. But I look back at photos yeah.
0: of myself when I was in my twenties at the time, just thinking like, "Oh, this is awful. How can I? Yeah. I'm gonna have to give up the music thing. I can't." Like, and now, like, <laughs> I look at those photos, I'm just thinking, "What a beautiful head of hair." Yeah, like, totally
1: thick. Well, it's. it's it's funny you mentioned that like with the lighting thing Mm -hmm. because i wanted i actually was going to ask like was that ever a consideration because it's a strange thing with like musicians in that they're still for you know all intents and purposes you're the ex like you're kind of part of the the instrument itself you know what i mean but the people still it there there's a performative aspect to the performer you know and and especially in uh any stringed guitar uh, oriented kind of like music it it's a lot of like image stuff it is yeah
0: i mean music yeah. I don't, music is like it's very image focused and I think i mean obviously with rock and roll that's that's seen as a young person's art form right yeah um yeah. but I think with any kind of music you're selling an image you know and being on a stage is really nothing to hide behind besides a hat, you know mm-hmm. Which I've done. Yeah. Which I've certainly done, um, you know, but it,
1: you wear it. You were you would wear a hat perform. I have worn
0: a hat. Oh, yeah. 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 Worn a hat back what? back in the my early in the early days. And we were we were both playing in bands. I wore hats from time to time. Huh. Yeah. The first time I played a show. In fact, the first time I played a show. Yeah. With our mutual friend, Matt Gokey. I, yeah. I was wearing a hat, and I think it was because I was self-conscious about my hair even then, which is now like interesting, yeah, like a thick head of hair I had then, you know. But that's funny. Yeah.
1: I was so to to bring those who are not as cool as us up to speed. So spatula was a two-person uh, instrument, largely instrumental. You had you had a little bit of vocal stuff yeah. to, towards as you move through it, but um, you were on guitar and. Our friend Matt Goki was on drums. He was in another band for a while called 81 Mulberry. Um he now works with trees, right? right. He's like an arborist. Yeah. I just it for me like I kind of knew you peripherally through those guys and then all of a sudden you were a band. Like I, you had this like super secret superpower that I had no <laughs> idea about. And and I your stuff I love I We'll always love spatula. It's oh, so thanks. great, not just because it is the number one suggestion that we would get in improv shows. People are always like
0: spatula, <laughs> but uh, but the music helps up too. What a terrible um, terrible band name, though. I love yeah. I love the bit you guys did with Eric Bachman at the end with the band names because there were some truly yeah, yeah confusing, confusingly awful names back then. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah.
1: I know, and it was fascinating for Charlie being there because right. he was the one outside yeah. of it and stuff. <laughs> and, he just, he... <laughs> and then how many? How many were like actually pretty viable? Like, they're yeah, like, yeah, that one, that one's got some that could that, exactly, that could yeah, go over. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah. So did did you? I mean, I had the same thing. It's so funny with the people I knew. It's sort of like my relationship to going into doing improv and then becoming an actor. is like I entered it in just like a kind of like I like doing this mm-hmm. and it didn't occur to me. I mean, it occurred to me that it was an option as a job, but it seemed like not it didn't seem like anything that I could do as a job, even though I try to do, do it as a job for a while. Right. But was it? did it become something as you started to play, did it become something you was like, Oh, this is truly what I want to do. Or did had you always had a, a burning desire to be a musician or, you know, work, just work with music.
0: Um, well, I studied, I studied piano when I was a kid and mm. that's, and I really, I really did enjoy that. I think, you know, I think I blame it on how, how music was taught to kids at that time. Like it, it doesn't Mm -hmm. really encourage you to stick with it unless Mm -hmm. you know.
1: Yeah. Because it's very, it's about the sacrifice and practice. Yeah. Hours dedication. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But I did, you know, like I, I got the bug then I guess. And, and came back to it playing piano when I was a teenager and um, I did, but I didn't start playing guitar, like doing band stuff until late in college. And yeah, but it didn't take long. I think once, you know, once I had you know, I started writing songs, I started playing them in front of people and then recording mm-hmm. them, like some part of me knew I was always going to be doing that on some yeah. level, you know, like I, and it maybe not in the context of like rock bands, but I knew that I was always going to be involved with it. I'd never, yeah. never thought it would be how I, I supported myself. Mm-hmm. So like the fact that it does now is kind of amazing. And it took me like, it was kind of a late bloomer. You know, I didn't start, I played guitar really late, started playing guitar yeah, late. Yeah. I found my way into actually supporting myself as a musician and a composer pretty late. You mm-hmm. know but yeah, you know, I'm I'm lucky to be able to say that, but it's yeah, it's a it's a hustle. Yeah, the, the the thing, simple, I'll always I'll always do it is the thing, whether it yeah. supports me or not. So
1: Yeah. I mean the thing is um that's amazing to me is, is that you you know you came to guitar late, but it felt like you had a, had a voice or had something that you wanted to sort of like investigate musically from the get-go you know what i mean that it was because i mean it was within it was you know within the kind of like indie rock realm of um you know it was amplified guitar and those drum beats stuff but it 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 still mined some a lot of the territory you work with now which is uh kind of a soundscape that's that's repeated that you kind of like move through um you know and and spatula to me was like a lot of like great sections of licks you know or like Uh sort of like progressions that sort of like layered on themselves and and kept going and i i mean yeah this will get into my question of like how how you do your stuff but was it Did you just sort of immediately say like "Ah, this is just what I'm curious about? I'm gonna do it this way, or or did you have influences early on? You're like I kind of this is my jumping off point.
0: Well, I think with because we were a duo, there was Mm no bass player. I I felt like um, and like in a really obstinate way, instead Mm -hmm. of finding a bass player, I just thought, well, maybe I'll try to fill out the sound so that it sounds like there's a, a bass in there or like a lower voice. Right. And I guess that approach to playing guitar kind of lent itself to using a lot of kind of detuned open strings. So there was Mm -hmm. always sort of a drone element um, that filled out the bottom end. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's certainly something that I I use now that, you know, that idea of there always being kind of a tonal center that you're working around and repetition. I don't know. I was just, I was wired in such a way that I'm drawn more towards repetition and kind of like variation rather than complexity you know complex Mm -hmm. arrangements or complex harmonies yeah so like that was just kind of what came naturally when i started playing playing the instrument yeah
1: yeah because it's you know it like it is i you know i was reading different sort of reviews uh of your your stuff and some of them were kind of put you in danger of sort of sounding like this is great massage music you know Uh the the kind of like (laughs) ethereal soundscape kind of thing right but it also pointed out to me is like there 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 is a you know a vast musical genre or or you know a- area of investigation that is about that that is about that kind of just like communication of a mood or sort of like slipping into another state right and it's so did, is that something that just has sort of for you gone in gone along with the instruments that you use because you know. Like Balsams is a lot of pedal steel, but it's not, it's not sort of like country music pedal steel. It's, yeah. it's this the, it's like the Brian Eno deep blue day kind of right that song. Right. Great, um, great bald composer. Yeah. Yeah. Another great baldy. Yeah. um But yeah, it's already, it, so it lends itself to that kind of like slipping in and out of sort of states of, of mind. But is that, so it, do you just find yourself going towards instruments that sort of, are are less about complexity and more about mood, or, but just somebody give you a pedal steel like fuck I'll use this then.
0: Pedal steel has like it it can sustain the sound for a long time when you play a mm-hmm. you note know it, it just rings out, and I think as a guitarist like I've always like I've always wanted that out of a guitar like that right. really long sustain, mm-hmm. because I am I am drawn to like just like, the pure sound of an instrument or like I. I enjoy that about music is that you can exist yeah. in this kind of like a sonic world that you create. Yeah, um, and I'm, you know, like I listen to a lot of music that kind of comes from that approach. And I think over time, I, mean, I still I still like melody. I still use melody, but over time, I think I've drifted away from the melody being really central in the music and mm-hmm. more like, yeah, just like the what the so- like. S- Pure sound can carry emotion too, you know? Yeah. Or it can, as yeah. you're saying, like it can kind of lend itself to a certain state of mind. And that was something that like with balsam's um when I was when I was recording that, like I had the idea that I wanted to make a record with pedal steel. Wasn't yeah. sure exactly how I would approach it because it's not usually a solo instrument.
1: And were and were you going that was from mainly doing acoustic?
0: Yeah, I had come out stuff. of yeah, doing a series of records that were mostly acoustic guitar, instrumental mm-hmm. music, playing finger style, like playing in the kind of tradition of like Leo Kaki or something like that, or John Fahey. John or, Fahey, yeah. yeah. Or, um, I, you know, a big inspiration for me was Elizabeth Cotton coming mm-hmm. from Chapel Hill. And there's, when you play a guitar with your fingers, kind of like the way a classical guitar is played or, or the way a banjo just played, or, you know, you can k- keep the sound going. You really sustain the sound for a long time. At the same time, you can you can do something almost orchestral because you have, you can play lots of notes at the same time and right. uh, move chords around while the sound is being sort of sustained. So, moving into the pedal steel was kind of like, in like sonically kind of a departure, but as far as just what I was interested in investigating, it was part it was a continuation of that what I was doing with acoustic guitar, right? And it does use a little bit of the same technique with your right hand, but when I started. Uh, Recording what ended up becoming balsams, I was, um, my partner Marielle was at an arts residency for two weeks. She was away and I was here, uh, in the house mm-hmm. setting up to record and our dog Bubbles had a, she's a dachshund and they're prone to spine problems. Right. And Bubbles had this, yeah, Bubbles abominate. had, the, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Their are uh, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. What's yeah happened with i mean they're breeding. cute as hell don't get yeah me i mean wrong with had... but bubbles is yeah she's had a lot of back problems and it, she yeah. had had this like really bad episode we, we weren't sure if she's gonna have to have surgery or whatever mm. or if she might be paralyzed you know she had a kind of wow. a bad rupture in her spine um so she was confined to a crate and i was <clears throat> here two weeks with her alone this is, this is before i was living here with with mariel and bubbles yeah so I started working on this music and I realized like while I'm working this on this I also have to keep Bubbles kind of calm because she's confined to a crate she hates that. Aww. Um and so I brought her into the room with me where I was practicing and just that's in a way that's kind of the music that organically came out of that situation. <laughs>
1: that's so uh, funny.
0: Yeah, I was like it was I like it was it was working for me like I liked what I was hearing but it was also yeah. Bubbles really I mean Bubbles listens to ambient music all the time. She's we have her. Yeah. You know, her stereo was on all the time in the living room, and she just hangs out in there listening to (laughs) the kind of music you're talking about, just like really, almost like massage music. That's really funny. That's what she likes, it turns out, and it really helped her calm down and kept, like, it kept her sort of content to be confined like that for a while. And it definitely had an influence on the sound of that record.
1: Wow, that's awesome. I mean, I think you made a mistake not naming the album "Bubbles' Back Problems,"
0: (laughs) right? Yeah, but. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. But it, it's, it, it became like, yeah, it was sort of this idea of Through the first time I, you know, I put together an album where there was more of an intention behind it. Like, I hope it's mm-hmm. received in a certain way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not just for dogs, but for people as well.
1: It totally, I mean, you know, the first time I listened to it, I was like, when it started, I was like, oh, it's going to be like this. And I, I, I will be honest, like, I, it, because it was so different from your other stuff, I was like, "Uh, yeah, okay. But, it, like, really, may, probably by, like, I don't know, two minutes into the first song, I really did, like, surrender to it. Like, it it, it has – and for me, listening to it, like, the, the surrendering to it was just – was probably, like, sinking into, like, a, a different – sort of metabolic state or you know my my nervous system kind of like calming down yeah and then i it allowed me to kind of like experience the music much more fully like i paid more i i find i pay more attention without realizing i'm paying more attention to your to that album more than like a lot of stuff that i've listened to you know recently
0: that's interesting
1: yeah, and I, I put it on one time for my girlfriend, not telling her what it was, and she had had this insane day, and I could just see like it it affected her too, you know, in that in that same way of just like she just went yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I, I you should be really proud of that album. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool, and it's, and I think kind of going back to the, what my I guess my. My curiosity about it is, as a musician, you still have to construct it. You know, you still have to map it out, and and I assume having a sort of like an understanding of when it should end. Right. I mean, how much of it is, it is sort of like uh, a chart that you follow, and then make decisions based on feeling, or do you have it pretty much like,
0: okay, I want it to be, it's going to be three and a half minutes, and you know, whatever. It it always starts with improvisation and just kind of feeling it out mm-hmm. and that that's true of like when I, I don't, I don't compose much for acoustic guitar anymore, but when I did, right. it was often like, yeah, starting off in a very kind of like intuitive headspace. And, yeah. and then like, you know, the parts emerge and you sequence them in the way that makes sense, kind of like you would, uh, you know, a, any other kind of song mm-hmm. with, uh, starting with balsams and the music I've made kind of in that mode. Yeah. Blossoms starts with me recording improvisations where I'm looping the pedal steel, mm-hmm. and those loops kind of like um, they're like tape loops, so they kind of evolve over time and, yeah. and start to degrade and sound quality and stuff. And so that creates an arc that I can then build the rest of the piece around, mm-hmm. um, and like a, like a, a harmonic uh, framework, you know, like because the, there are chords in there that I can play around and right. add a bass line to or add synth parts to and things like that. Mm-hmm. so in the pedal steel stuff does start in even a even like with less intention from from the beginning you know yeah like it's just like i'm playing around okay this this feels good this sounds good i'll start recording mm-hmm. this and see where it goes you know
1: that's cool and do and as far as like r- playing live do you just it's the same thing it's just it, it, the understanding that's going to be somewhat of an improvisation
0: yeah um, yeah for a while I, I used to try to play like those pieces on on balsams i tried to play them more or less start to finish the way they are on mm-hmm. the, on the record yeah that involves like using like you know backing tracks and stuff because I'm just i can't do it all at the same time right right and that like that is just less interesting to me um because it felt like I was playing pedal steel karaoke or something <laughs> so i just now my approach is i it, it is pretty much an improvisation and I, a lot of times yeah. i will i'll I won't stop for like the whole duration of the set, so it could be like 40, oh, wow. the forty-five minute, you know, one long piece, where it it like there there are changes and variations, and you know, there's different sections, but I don't treat it like songs per se when I'm doing that.
1: So, it, it in playing it like as one piece, you would have multiple songs that you just play all the way through, or you're doing like one song, like you would do. Um, I have was it Riggin Black.
0: Oh yeah. Riga Black. Well, sometimes yeah. that'll be part of it. Like there'll be mm-hmm. parts that might be familiar to people who've heard the albums, but it's, yeah, those little sections are kind of charted out. Like I know the, the order I might go through them mm-hmm. and then I'll just try to find ways to sort of um, organically tie them together. Yeah. You know, live with what I'm playing live. So. That's cool.
1: Who is the guy you said that you did tape loop that would degrade as it progressed <clears throat> Was it is it William Bez- Bezinski, Bez- yeah. Yeah, Basinski? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um he was like an early pioneer of that thing, right? Yeah.
0: He's the daddy of that that approach. So yeah. the disintegration loops is an incredible yeah. piece of yeah.
1: work. Yeah. Somebody turned gave that to me and I was yeah. like, whoa, this is uh, this is wild. Yeah. So you're so you so you attended Mills is it Mills College? Yeah. Right.
0: Almost almost formerly known as Mills College.
1: Almost formerly yeah, known. It's, 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 known as people just Mills.
0: It's the, unfortunately the college is coming to an end as we know it, but really, yeah, why, yeah, pandemic or wow, that's a whole that's a show in itself, but yeah, um, <laughs> the kind of thing that you you might could have seen coming where a college has a bloated tier of administrators, you know, uh huh, um, while they're claiming that they're not bringing in enough money with tuition or with their endowment or whatever, but it turns right. out. When the when the um, the school was claiming this in the last couple of years, the president they you know made these announcements saying that the school was in dire straits, and then fi- finally last year that they were having to close. And but because I guess because it's a private institution, they didn't have to disclose the financial stuff. Mm-hmm. So oh, um, anyway, who knows? Who knows what's really going on? But the school yeah. is being it's being gobbled up by a school called Northeastern from from I think from Boston. Uh. Um and I don't. It's unclear what's going to of it or the like this historical music program that's there
1: is Mills just music or is it that their music program is just a big part of
0: it's a of... big part of the of the of the school it's been historically it's been a women's college for undergrad mm-hmm. and it has co-ed graduate programs gotcha
1: yeah yeah and so what and they're they're sort of pioneers in electronic
0: music yeah they're they were the sort of the hub of Kind of the West Coast experimental music world, and started starting going back to the '60s. I would say, I mean, the music program's been there since before that. They've had a lot of, you know, really well-known composers teaching there. But in the '60s, there was this uh, something called the San Francisco Tate Music Center that was located Mm -hmm. in San Francisco, and Pauline Oliveros and a couple of other composers who were early electronic music composers were running that center, and then it. It eventually moved to Mills College and kind of merged with their music program. Yeah, um, and that was what began its, I guess, its kind of like heritage as a hub of experimental music. Um, yeah. in the mid sixties, and, has- and you
1: so so you went. Did, were you doing studying guitar there, or were you sort of just were you studying electronic music while sort of? continuing to do your guitar stuff and mashing it up or
0: yeah I, I was in an electronic music program yeah and i didn't i didn't really do i didn't really present guitar work there or use guitar mm-hmm. playing as part of what i of, as part of what i was doing um yeah a lot of it is is learning how well like there's there's a recording engineering side of the program so that you know that's great uh useful mm-hmm. s- skill set to learn and then it's like the electronic music side of it is really wide open. There's people who do computer music. Some people use old-timey synthesizers. Um, yeah. Some people build their own electronic devices. I did a little bit of that. Um, oh, dang. But I also would, like, compose for string ensembles, and it was... Mm-hmm. The nice thing about the program is that, like, there were, there were people there for electronic music or for traditional instrument studies or composition, but it was all... Everyone was kind of mixed together and experimenting with like all kinds of forms there right yeah
1: what I have no idea I have no reference point of what a electronic music program would be like yeah. what 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 are some of the like the 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 stereotypes of them you know what I mean like I just picture someone like,
0: sitting on a stage with a laptop mm-hmm. and everyone wondering if they're checking their email or actually <laughs> creating the sound live or just hitting play and you know yeah that's those are the the best ones I guess or That's someone funny. up there with like, it looks like they're a telephone operator patching cables.
1: Yeah, that is one. I I went to go see, you know, Fortet?
0: Yeah, so yeah.
1: I went to go see him play one time, and it was somebody in front of a laptop, like, but elevated way too high than much more, <laughs> more than the stage. Like he was on stage and then on another stage. Okay. So he was just like you just saw a laptop and then the top of somebody's head. <laughs> And then just music playing. Um, That's so strange. A, yeah, not a very dynamic <laughs> show to see. Yeah. yeah, I imagine there would be a lot of like um, cables everywhere. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. A lot of, a lot of jockeying for uh, power sources, plugs. <laughs> totally. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a hierarchy of that kind of thing. Uh huh. Yeah, a lot of competition
0: uh, for cables. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Only on Baltimore. Ever heard of social media? We have, and no big deal, we are on it. Check us out on Instagram at BaldTalkPod or on Twitter at Bald Talk Podcast.
0: Please make sure to like, rate, and review, and subscribe
1: wherever you get your podcasts. We don't care where you get them, just get them. No judgment, wherever you get them, anywhere. 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 Whatever. No judgment. <laughs> as long as you listen, we don't give a fuck. Only on Bald Talk. Well, how does that, I mean to me be like becoming an electronic uh, music composer is is as heartbreaking to a family as someone saying <laughs> i'm gonna be a poet
0: <laughs> when i grow up yeah you know the, the funny thing is that people like came out of that program and and became sound designers for big game companies here in the bay area yeah um, some people go on to do you know like audio production work and like mm-hmm. you do learn skills that are you know, useful when you're, yeah. Yeah. But like, as far as like the music that you make when you're in, you're basically in art school. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's just understood. You're just, you're fucking around. Like you're doing, you're trying stuff out and it might, you know, a lot of people leave it there when they graduate. Right. So,
1: um, yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to the, you know, talk to Eric Bachman. It's like, I, I, it, it was insane for us to try to make $20 playing, you know, in chapel hill right i can't imagine i can't imagine trying to make a living from this stuff and it's um, it's really impressive that you are sustaining yourself from your art you know yeah
0: it's like a what a terrible life choice i made like what (laughs) what an awful time (laughs) in our society to try to make a living as a musician it's like really it's
1: just it's like i i was i was meeting with a friend a friend of mine who's an actor and we were sort of walking around talking about our surviving the apocalypse with our skill set like what could we really i don't know how many improv shows there'll be demanded you know when we're fighting for water and stuff (laughs) but there'll be a demand you bet there will be yeah i mean yeah yeah the one the one i mean and it's true and and again it kind of goes back to that it's very hard to have perspective on yourself whether it's how you look or what your insecurities are or your fears and stuff But the number of times people have said, like, you guys provide a a essential thing in life, like whether it's music or you know entertainment and stuff, like people need this stuff. And in my darker moments, I'm like, I feel like I'm just shoveling, you know, distracting crap into a gigantic machine that's just (laughs) like (laughs) taking our eyes off the prize a little bit, you know. But at the same time, I. I still relish, like, being able to listen to your album or be able to watch a show that I love and then kind of, like, it giving me something back, you know? Yeah.
0: I mean, being able to laugh is so crucial, you know? Yeah. Like, I have so much respect for you and what you do and, and your craft as a whole, and I also, like, I'm really interested in the parallels because, um, like, I know you've never really worked on this, like, the stand-up circuit mm-hmm. or anything like yeah. that, but, like, that yeah. is some hard... That's some hard knocks, yeah, and that that was something that was really interesting to me about like Marin's podcast, at least in the Mark Marin's podcast in the early mm-hmm. days, he would have on a lot of comics who were kind of in his of his generation who had been just kind of like never like kind of like him at the time, like never broke through really big, yeah, but just still doing it, you know mm-hmm. um, and that's something that I really related to is like hearing about these comics who are just still on the road all the time and
1: yeah i mean it it does get a little bit into that territory of like you know how how healthy is it if you really like objectively if you're sort of like yeah you're you have an obsession like you have a compulsion right like you know you're maybe you're not that different than somebody who lives out in the woods and has to build mud huts for just because they need to you know right i mean it's like or an outsider artist you know uh, clyde dead or you know, yeah, like yeah chop up wood and paint it right no, no, <laughs> no reason why uh maybe it pays off which it sort of seems to have paid off for him a little bit yeah but yeah it's 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 i can't decide if it's good to understand like what what the drive what causes the drive or if yeah. it's best just to be like I don't know it just it makes me happy well at the same time quite often can make you miserable you know
0: right if um, i mean if you lose focus on on the while you're really doing it, then all the stuff that makes you miserable starts to creep in.
1: Yeah. I think that's uh you know, and I was thinking about Eric Bachman talking about it was just like, I mean, you know, I I made peace with myself that I'm okay to sleep in a van and play right. some songs and stuff. The weird thing, like, for on my end of it is and I and I think this happens, you know, with musicians too, but there's it it sort of depends on what I guess how mainstream you are working, but the the art of like the art and commerce kind of coming together—that's that's where the line gets really blurry as to yeah. like why am I what am I doing this for? Like, what's the what's the real thing behind it? Because you're for me, I, I'm always being reminded of like the potential, you know, or this is not that great a job because you're not making that much money. It's right? Like, yeah, but I love these people. Like, Yeah, all right, whatever. have these voices who are always kind of reminding you of like totally yeah you know yeah
0: it comes i mean that comes into play because i i do like i do compose for tv and film which for Mm -hmm. me is like the most quote-unquote commercial sort of work i do right but now like since i mean since i've been supporting myself with with music for the last few years i start to think about everything or or look at everything through that lens like Mm -hmm. which sometimes feels a little gross (laughs) Uh,
1: and do you mean like in terms of like how to monetize it or how to sort of like yeah or like
0: is there a potential for it to to bring an income somehow right you know because you really have to you have to scrap for that now because yeah streaming is that's how people experience music and musicians don't get paid from streaming yeah you know I know. and touring less and less is a sustainable thing for musicians to do so yeah um you really like for me anyway i don't have any i don't fall back on any other kind of work really you know i fall back on composing for tv or i fall back on doing producing other people's records you know yeah so i'm it's yeah it's just like you it's the kind of thing that can creep in and start to cloud your understanding of why you do it and yeah you know it can take away from the enjoyment of it for sure do
1: you have like an agent who hooks you, tries to get you uh, soundtrack work or yeah. are you, yeah.
0: I have a, I don't have a dedicated like film composer agent, but I have a, I have a manager who mm-hmm. seeks out those opportunities and like licensing and sync opportunities, things like that. Yeah. Which is, and you know, and helps hook me up with record labels and does all kinds of stuff like that. So,
1: and is his, uh, his or her or they, uh, the other artists are they sort of in in your camp uh, yeah i think your, you could, your genre of music you could
0: say that that's sort of his specialty yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so he has a lot of kind of like for lack of a better word like experimental musicians and composers who are able to do things that are that work for film and tv right? yeah so
1: yeah what is uh what, what is what's been the best and then the worst part of that that gig Working for doing doing soundtracking for for someone's project,
0: I mean the hours are brutal, right? Yeah. Like when when I'm on a job, and and TV is the the most brutal because a season of TV is like ten films, really. Right. You know, it's like, uh, and and the music is kind of the one of the last things that falls into place. So it's mm-hmm. like right up against the final deadlines for, God. doing the final audio mix at the dubbing stage. All so like you're yeah, under yeah. the gun. So, when I'm on a job like that, it's 14 hour days every day oh, without a, no weekends, no break at all until it's done. You know oh what my I mean?
1: God. And how long would that stretch be? Uh, do, do, do you have like two months to it wrap it up? It could be a like... couple
0: of months at a time. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, it's never gone on longer than that. But that's just, yeah, that's just how it is. And we if... don't, you know, like composers don't have a union, right? Oh, uh, really? Yeah. And it's unlikely that we ever will, which is kind of interesting. Huh. I mean, there's uh, even like even major Hollywood. Yeah, Yeah, there's no there's no union. That's crazy. So we don't have like even some like the music editor who who could help conform like what I compose for a show. Yeah, that person has set hours and a set fee and overtime and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, but composers don't. I don't know if anyone else in that in you know in the production kind of side of things or post production can say that like they don't have a union or a guild or something. That's nuts. And I think it's because... Yeah, that blows my mind. It got, kind of goes back to when th- this was all sort of sorted out in the 20th century when... Because composers uh, retain a little bit of their intellectual property. <laughs> These organizations, ASCAP and BMI, who collect what's called performance royalties whenever a composition is, is shown on TV or performed in a concert or on right. the radio or whatever. There's uh, a side to that that's called the, the writer's share that it's kind of been like sacrosanct that you writers always retain that. And so even if you're hired to do, um, compose for a film or for a network or a production company, like there's a a little piece of that potential earning in the future that you get to hang on to. It's kind of like residuals, except, yeah, except it's protected by law in a way, or it used to be. Interesting. still protected by law in the UK and Europe and stuff, but in the U S is starting, they're starting to chip away at that. Um,
1: I mean, I guess that it is interesting how musicians are kind of, there's still the, they are basically like the last just, I don't know, mercenary gun for hire artists that there is, you know, if, if if they aren't represented, because I mean, even for like sort of pop musicians and stuff, I mean, the, the, the. Greatest representation they have is what BMI and ASCAP, and that's that's it. It they yeah. th- nobody's fighting for their health care, nobody's fighting for their you know any of that.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. It is crazy, and you like know. and you know, I feel like I don't want to complain all day about being a musician because I'm, yeah, you know, do it. I'm lucky that I get to do this at all. Yeah, much less make a living at it. But um, but, you know, touring like when you travel for work in any other profession is it how, like, you're you're going to get a hotel room, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, someone's get paying for your hotel room or, yeah. you're, or providing accommodation somehow. But when you're touring, mm-hmm. in the United States at least, as a musician, it's like that is a luxury. You know, like, wow. you have to be at a certain tier where that's a viable thing to consider. Right. There was a big dust-up on social media a, a few weeks ago when South by Southwest was happening, and there's this band uh, from Asheville is like kind of a now a well-known indie rock band who's doing mm. well and they can they, you name names? Yeah, I think they're called Wednesday. I might okay. have fact-checked that, but it was the right. the thing that was uh, important about the story is that they're they were saying like for everyone who's been saying for years like stop complaining about streaming because at least you can tour and make money that way, you know. Mm-hmm. This is here's we have the receipts for our tour going out to from North Carolina to Texas to play south by Southwest and back and it's like you know they were making for a band today like pretty good money each night you know yeah but they yeah. showed how to broke down with like this is how much our hotel costs this is what our meals cost that day this is what uh, we you know we had ran into some mechanical problems with our van that's how much it cost we came back oh my God. we didn't break we like we barely broke even and the which I think is a good thing for people to see and understand.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But the uh, like the discouraging thing was like people piled up on them on Twitter saying like why are you spending that much money going out to eat or like why do you, <laughs> why do you think you need to get a hotel room like it's like people it's like you're saying it's like, not rock and roll you should sleep in the van exactly um, but like people still kind of expect that from musicians or from or s- from like independent rock bands like people expect that from them like they're gonna make well there's that weird yeah
1: it's that weird. Mu- it's mythologized it it is the sort of uh and it's i mean the the interesting thing is you know actors used to be sort of on they were below musicians as far as like their social value like they were garbage people for for centuries (laughs) and now that it's been turned around as to you know it basically like if you if there's an earning power to your face then you have great cachet and great power and all this kind of thing but there's something to musicians that we still like the idea that they're you know these urchins who kind of like right show up and, and entertain us and then and then go live you know like these bandits on the run kind of thing
0: yeah yeah otherwise you're selling out quote unquote which is yeah. I remember like when we were back in our our day in the back 90s in the mm-hmm. having come out of like kind of punk rock and all that, like selling yeah. out was if you did that, you lost everyone's respect, whatever yeah. that however you might define that, you know
1: i remember, uh, i would i totally was i mean you know the people in my band uh were very enamored of the idea of going to a show and then not having a plan and then right. begging for a floor to sleep <laughs> on, and I hated it, <laughs> yeah. I just was never I could never. <laughs> I was always like, oh, I should really love the, the, the road and stuff, which the road was like just driving to Asheville from Greensboro or right. whatever, but
0: <laughs> it's still, I just like, oh, it's gross and it's gross and I hate it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's not good. It's not good in your early twenties. It's certainly not good when you're pushing 40 or 50, you know, no. but it doesn't, yeah, it, yeah. Yeah.
1: There's nothing, and it's funny how you can romanticize like f- feeling and shit and smelling yeah. <laughs> 'Cause that's just how it was like
0: we smell bad, I feel bad. Okay. Yeah, here we go. But don't otherwise you're gonna sell out, man. You can't I know, you know I know. Otherwise you're selling out. If you go to a hotel room, you've sold out. I know. I know so I don't make be so mad at me. <laughs> I probably can't name names in this instance, but like mm-hmm. I I know uh guys who were in a band back then who were like kind of a successful uh indie band and they were yeah. offered a ton of money to do like a nike commercial or something oh yeah and, like a million dollars or something and they were like no we can't don't do that oh, it's no. selling out and now they all have kids and like oh no i was oh my god i was working with one of them a few years ago in the studio and he was like i've got kids now i really <laughs> <laughs> i can never tell the best story they will. <laughs> <laughs> like i really should have taken that money
1: i was like shocked the other day and then i was shocked and then i was like okay yeah I don't know what his I don't know what his financial costs are or whatever but it was a the uh, where is my mind was being used where's my mind by the pixies yeah was being used for uh, like some health insurance app or something uh-huh. and it was so, but it wasn't it wasn't their original thing it was like the melody of it and stuff oh but wow was, okay and so it was it was a cute kind of like do, 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 do. Do, 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 And I was like, wow, this is really weird. <laughs> but it was true. And I remember hearing Spoon. Spoon was in like a car commercial. Right. And I, I saw, maybe it was on Pitchfork or something, but it was a thing of like, there was a dust up of like, wow, Spoon's really selling out. And I think their reply was like, we are in our 40s. We need money. Yeah. Like, we're musicians. Fuck off.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I did a job for Amazon a couple of years ago. Around oh, wow. it was like
1: okay, you did sell out then. I did, you it's fucking true. sold out yeah. hard, man. Yeah,
0: uh,
1: but it <laughs> was it for his uh, spaceship? Was it like ambient music <laughs> for them to listen to as they went in the space? It was
0: like I think the theme was it was on Amazon Originals, it was a uh, music to sleep to, mm-hmm. which it, you know, and it was me and a few other composers, a lot of whom I like and listen to their music, and I you yeah, know, I don't sleep to it, yeah. Um, <laughs> but like it just happens if there's someone involved in Amazon Music who's actually looking out for musicians and trying yeah. to get them, you know, gigs and get them paid. Well, that's, I mean,
1: kind of go back to the art and commerce thing. Is like the crazy, It there's no way, I mean, there's no way anyone in society, unless you just drop off the grid, can, can, uh, sort of sever yourself from corporate ties. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're, they're companies own companies, own companies. And so to your point, if there is someone within those massive machines, who still wants to support artists it you got to take it yeah, you know it's sure. the same as like it's like painting the the sistine chapel's like that that's a gig yeah what a sellout <laughs> yeah what a sellout that guy well we are uh you know, we we've been chatting for a bit but I did want I really want people to hear you play something if you would be cool enough to i know you said that you couldn't pull off a lap steel and even, as much as i would love for you to plug into deep blue and do some electronic stuff yeah. uh that might be d- too much of an energy draw so do you think you could uh, do something acoustic yeah
0: it it would set off my power bills too much for sure yeah, totally. too many cables sure. there's cable comp- my my partner's a musician electronic musician as well so oh, yeah. we're constantly fighting over cables <laughs> you just have yeah you only, yeah you won't buy more you're just fighting over the right. same ones yeah, yeah yeah i get it because they're the good ones you know the the old ones um yeah well yeah i was going to play something on acoustic guitar i haven't done that publicly in like years now so oh nice thought that might well, be fun and terrifying but yeah great. yeah yeah and it's actually from the first record i put out under my my own name the album oh cool yeah a struggle not a thought
1: Oh, real fast! Did you know that there's another Chuck Dan- Johnson who's in some uh, like co- country band? Yeah, I do. Ch-
0: yeah, Chuck yeah. Johnson and Charlie Horse. I'm familiar. Charlie Horse. That's yeah. it. I was
1: like, oh, maybe he sat in with it. I was like, no, nope, this is probably not him. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so this is a, uh, yeah. We can we can talk about. I want to talk about country music when we if we have more time. Yeah. And ambient music and how the two should never collide. But anyway, <laughs> um, I'm going to reposition the mic now make a bunch of noise and okay, set up cool. for the guitar. I'll
1: just vamp. Uh, you know, listeners, while, uh, Chuck is setting up, um, I did want to remind you that, uh, we flourish, um, at the benefit of your reviews mm. on Apple music and other, uh, mm-hmm. podcasting, uh, Platforms, so throw some in there, and I wanted to quote one of my favorite ones that we had recently that says, "I'm a bald mm-hmm. guy. I'll probably never listen to this podcast, but I'm glad they're doing it." So, thanks for that one, guys. That 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 did a lot, a lot of help. Oh, he's ready.
0: So yeah, this one's called "Last Moments at Chatur."
1: Cool. <laughs> Love that! How was that? How was uh, done having done that for a while? Uh, Nerve wracking. So, Nerve wracking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I was. I mean, you looked real bald doing it. So It that was
0: that's a, a, my baldest moment in recent yeah. history. Yeah. Yeah. Those those some some bald plans. But yeah, that was <laughs> dude. That was so good. Thanks.
1: It made me think, like when you're doing it, it's like so. You were talking about, you know, a lot of it was in the writing of things, improvised. What. So was that when you recorded it, did did you, was that improvised too? or Like what, what you just did, did you sort of say like, okay, I'm going to cycle through a progression and it kind of ascends and then we're out.
0: By the time with the guitar music, by the time it's recorded, it's set in stone pretty much. Yeah. And then later on, like once I tour with it and play it live for a while, I might start to make changes and, you know, Mm -hmm. decide things can, can change or some parts might extend or, You know, those types of variations could happen. But yeah, with with acoustic guitar music, it was like very much like, for me anyway, it's like very, something that's a, it's like pretty set in stone by the time I record it. Yeah. That's so cool.
1: Thanks. Well, you're, I I love your stuff, Chuck, and I love that you're doing it. So. Thank you so much. Really thrilled that you got to do it on our show and, you know, shoehorned you in here in a bald fashion. But I mean, let's, yeah. I, I qualify. Yeah. You do. Yeah, you do. There's no, there's no
0: shoehorning involved.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, before we go, is there uh, where where can people find your stuff? Are you performing? Do you have any shows coming up that you want anybody to know about? Um,
0: yeah, I'm actually flying back out to North Carolina next week for a big festival. I'm really excited about. Okay. Uh, in Durham, there's a record label called Three Lobe Recordings that's having their 21st anniversary nice. extravaganza for like f- four days. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm playing there. I'm really pleased to be there. Cool. Um, and their tick is still available for that's for all those shows um, except for one. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the following week at Mills College, who we talked about earlier, is having yep. kind of its last hoorah music department um, festival, where a lot of current and former faculty and some students are performing, and like a lot of kind of big big names mm-hmm. and people who've been affiliated with the school are, are performing over. A four-day festival, yeah. Oh
1: wow! Yeah, That's bitter, bittersweet.
0: It is. It is.
1: It's very emotional. Yeah. yeah.
0: That's crazy. And then all
1: your, all your music is it all through one. It's, have you been working with the same label, or are you? Oh man, I've around? been
0: like so promiscuous with labels over the <laughs> years. This, the Cinder Grove was the first time I had done more than one record with a, a label. Yeah. On VDSQ, it was a really wonderful label, out, yeah. of, out of L.A. Um, Oh, real fast. I wanted to yeah. ask you
1: about, so with the Cinder Grove, that was inspired by a lot, of the fires that were happening.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and I, cause I read that New York Times article and it was sort of a, you, you and your partner were uh, about, you had found your sort of like dream location right. to, to move to and to work out in the woods and have this like creative you know, sanctuary space, but it was too adjacent to the fire zone.
0: Well, it, it was impossible to get insurance. Yeah, which is becoming really like that's a that's an issue now in California. It's like yeah. if you unless you uh, can buy a home in the woods with cash and you don't care about insuring it, you know. But wow. yeah, so that was the deal breaker for us, and we've run mm. up we've run up against that more than once now. Like trying yeah. to, trying to relocate, really. Yeah,
1: yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much longer. I can live here. <laughs> it's, it's getting intense. Yeah. It's like it, half, it, half the year, it gets real stressful.
0: It does that. I mean, God, that, that day when the sky was orange, like Blade Runner sky was yeah. so, I mean that, you know, that changed me and I know I'm not alone. And that, mm-hmm. like that was a really, that was a hard, hard day uh, yeah. just to see it. Not You know, let alone to, uh, to have experienced it up close. Yeah. Like, like, folks did
1: so crazy but oh it's a a thing i was gonna ask was what was the thing you you use some dimensions involved like from a structure to that sort of correlated to the song somehow am i getting something wrong i thought you said that, that there was you used the
0: oh so there was i used like um I kind of like I conflated these two these two processes that are happening in California. one's mm-hmm. the fire, the other is like housing being so right. hard, especially for yeah. artists. and there was around like the last few years have been all these terrible fires. There's also been like people leaving the Bay Area and in, in droves yeah. because it's hard to find places to live that are affordable. And mm-hmm. we, when I moved here there were all these DIY like warehouse type spaces. Right, which is how like the arts and music community here really flourished for a long time, um, and I lived in one of these places and I performed you know numerous times in places like that, but I used a lot of them. Pretty much all of them are gone now. They you know converted to condos or whatever. But uh, I used recordings from shows I did back then and kind of extracted like uh, a reverb. Like I was hmm. able to use software to recreate the sound of being in that space. Oh wow couple different spaces. And then I use yeah. that as an effect on the cinder grove. So, um, yeah, cool. yeah, like a way of kind of re-inhabiting those places that are gone.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. And it's like, and that, that's like a detail that is for you, right. Or that's that that's for you and sort of like in the construction of the song. And, and it's not, it's not important to the listener to know that or is it to you
0: i don't i don't think it is i mean it it was just like it's become a a talking point when i've Mm -hmm. talked about the album and it's and i think it might be in like in the narrative that the record label sent out right i think it's important to people who have experienced that like what's happened here in the bay area and and Mm -hmm. lots of places around the country where you know like you're there are places that don't exist anymore either they've the lost of fire or lost to gentrification or whatever mm-hmm. like but those places kind of linger in our memory like kind of like ghosts you know yeah um, and a big part of a memory of a space whether we're conscious of it or not is how it sounds to be in there you mm-hmm. know so in a way yeah. i was trying to like kind of keep the spirit of those places alive by trying to recreate the sound of being in them oh cool yeah
1: yeah that's what i'm doing with the podcast i'm trying to like the memory of my hair trying to oh, yeah. revisit that <laughs> And, you know, always come back to it. Dude, I'm so happy you got to come on here and, and get to chat with you about this stuff because I, I, I'm really fascinated by your music and it's really cool. Thank you so much and for I, having me. Yeah, and I want everybody to check it out. He's on Apple Music. He's on Spotify. They're not paying any money for it, but <laughs> listen to it there and then buy it and then go online and buy it like I did. Um, all right, Chuck. Love you. Stay bald.
0: Thank we'll you, see sir. See you later. Take all care, right. Brian. Someone to
1: talk to Brian and Charlie Have a hairless
0: party
1: and they are all there to invite you No juice. No shampoos Interviews Only on
0: Bordeaux Ever wanted to hear from the neighbor at 9 Cloverfield Lane? Or what if I told you that Dr. Loomis's worst patient wasn't Michael Myers? I'm Adam Peacock, host of the podcast My Neighbors Are Dead. Join me each week as I talk to the lesser-known characters from your favorite horror films. Each week is an all-new, fully improvised journey into the unknown, featuring friends and luminaries from the worlds of comedy, horror, and beyond. New episodes every Tuesday on Campfire Media. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.
1: Campfire.